Join me again this morning in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be revisiting this chapter. We'll also be going back to Genesis chapter 6 as well, so you can put your finger there. You know, last week we explored the topic of pleasing God, and we came to the scripture in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. And what we found out about that is outside of faith, we cannot please God. So what we, had, what we came through last week, today will be pleasing God part two, by the way. What we addressed last week is we talked about the impossibility of pleasing God without faith. But we also came to the conclusion that it is possible to please God, but it has to be done how? By faith. It has to be done by faith if we want to please God. So we understood what that is, and if we do want to please God, and it requires faith on our part in order to please Him, we really have to have an understanding of what faith is. We've got to have our minds wrapped around that so we know how to exercise it in order to put a smile on the face of our Creator. And in understanding what that is, we moved back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, which gives us the definition very plainly. It's the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of of things not seen. It is, it is what we believe in action, okay? It is what we believe is determining our behavior, okay? That substance is, is based on what we believe to be true, and we act accordingly. That is what faith is. It's about understanding and knowing that God has truly spoken. It's about believing that the Word of God is God's spoken Word to us, and we choose to be obedient in that. And when we choose to be obedient to God's Word, we are living a life by faith. And that's exactly what, we is and what it is. And today we are going to be going through just a little bit further. Now in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, this is known as the Faith Hall of Fame, or the Hall of Faith as many people call it. And it, it illustrates many different believers and their faith actions that they, that they performed because they believed what God had told them. And throughout the Word of God, there's various, various um, demonstrations of great faith by men and women. And I would, I would encourage you all, uh, we may not go through the entire book, uh, chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, but whenever I would encourage you, if you have the, when you have the time and you sit down, just read these faith testimonies. But read them in light of what you know faith is today. Read it and interpret it um, based on what Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says. Well, you can see what that substance is. See what the faith action is in each and every case. Now, the person may not even be named in that, but you can still find the substance, the action, the evidence of what is not seen. Uh, just, just a quick illustration of that, like in, like in uh, verse 30. What do we see there? By faith, the walls of Jericho came down. Did the walls have any faith? No, 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 absolutely not. But what is the action of faith that we see in the, in the Scripture there? Is that the children of Israel, they actually did what God told them, and they believed God. They said, Look, we believe God. If we just go around and we walk around this city for seven days, that the walls will come down and we will get the victory over this. The, act, the substance of things hoped for, that substance was the fact that they marched around that city. That was their action of faith in this particular part. So you can go through this, and you can be able to kind of dissect it with the interpretation of, um, interpret it in light of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. But when we look at these different um, illustrations and demonstrations of great faith, you know, these stand as dynamic examples to us. 
No, they are a stirring challenge for us to believe God and to obey God even amid a corrupt and godless and dying world. Whenever we look at these, these are great examples for, for us to follow, and they are a challenge to us to continue a life in faith. Now this morning, we're going to be taking a look again at the, at the testimony of Noah in verse 7. Last week, we, we dove into it just briefly to kind of illustrate what that substance of faith was and what, what the evidence of things not seen was according to the testimony of Noah. We're going to uh, look at his example again. And I believe that we can look at his example because I believe that he stands as a great example in believing God is and that he is a rewarder in a culture that is very similar to the one in which we live today. So we ready to go? All right, so the first thing we're going to look at is look at Noah's faith. Look at, take a quick look at Noah's faith. Now, in the cultural context of Noah, during his day, back in Genesis chapter 6, now, we, 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 uh, we covered this um, several weeks ago, but the culture in which Noah lived was not a godly culture, okay? As, as a matter of fact, in, um, in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he grieved him in his heart. And so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But there was one man that caught the eye of God, which was Noah. And Noah found grace in the eyes of of the Lord. But why did Noah find grace in the eyes of the Lord? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because he was a just man, he was perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And because he was because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, when it comes to Noah's faith and exercising that faith, God spoke to Noah. Did he not? Absolutely. And what did he tell him? Noah was warned of the coming judgment, and he was given instruction concerning that judgment. Noah was, was warned of it, and he was also given instruction in light of what is going to happen in the future. So God had spoken, sp spoken very clearly to Noah. As we go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with a godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Noah was warned of the coming judgment and given instructions to build the ark. And Noah, according to what the Word of God tells us here, it says that he was moved by a godly fear and he prepared that ark. Now just as a recap, what is the substance of things hoped for here? What is the evidence of things not seen? In verse 7, that Noah prepared the ark, right? Noah prepared the ark. That was his action of faith. That action was based on what he believed to be true. That was an action of faith because he believed God and he was obedient to what God had told him to do. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 17, the reason why he prepared the ark was simply because he believed God. Now, what we see here in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 17 and 18 is what he believed, this is God speaking to Noah, and it says, And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters to the earth to destroy from under the heaven all flesh 
in which is the breath of life, everything that is on the earth shall die. Promise number one. Secondly, in verse 18, it says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and, I shall, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So what did Noah believe that moved him to build the ark? What did Noah believe in order for him to act in faith? Well, he believed, one, that the flood was going to come. He believed that God was going to destroy the earth and everything that had breath was going to be wiped off of the face of the earth. He believed that the judgment that God had warned him about was going to happen. And second reason why he built the ark was why? Because his family would be saved if he did. My question to you, and if I could illustrate this even further, how we behave is really determined by what we truly believe to be true. Right? If, if Noah did not believe that the, that the judgment was going to come, would he have built the ark? No. Let's say Noah believed that the judgment was going to come and that the entire world was going to be wiped out by a worldwide flood. If Noah did not believe that if he built that ark, that his family and he and his family would be saved, do you think he would have built the ark? No. What would be the point, right? But the fact of the matter is, what he believed, what he truly believed about God and who he was, and the fact that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him because of what he believed, what God said was true, and he believed that the hope that God had given him for building the ark, he moved with a godly fear and was obedient to God, and he built the ark. That is the substance of things hoped for, right? Preparing the ark was the substance of things hoped for and that his family would be saved. The evidence of things not seen is he built the ark in light of the warning that had not yet come. Does that make sense? Yes, so by faith, Noah prepared the ark because he truly believed God. And he believed that the judgment was going to come. And he believed that if he built the ark, that the Lord would allow him to be saved by, him, by he and his family boarding that ark at the time of the flood. This was Noah's hope. If he built the ark, he would be saved. Something else that we need to see here. So not only was Noah warned about the coming judgment, but he was given instruction. That's something that we really need to have an understanding of. That there is a coming judgment for Noah in Noah's time, and that he was given instruction concerning that coming judgment. The second thing we need to look at is that Noah stood fast. Now, Noah stood fast regardless of the amount of work that was required. Noah stood fast regardless of what the world was doing and saying at the time. How many, how many years after God revealed this to Noah did it actually did it start raining? Anybody know? 120 years. Okay, 120 years from the time that God said, Noah, I'm going to flood the world. You need to build an ark. 120 years of work before Noah, before the promise of God would actually come to fruition. But yet Noah stood fast. He built the ark. We're talking, about, we're talking about a boat that's the size of an ocean liner in the time of the days of Noah. I don't know the technology that they had. I don't know how he built an ark that big. I mean, it requires some pretty big trees and bolts and everything else. I mean, this is a big, big job. And from what we can understand, I don't think that anybody was there willing to help him maybe other than his sons. But from what I can understand about the genealogy, I don't think his oldest son or his youngest son was actually born yet whenever, he, whenever the warning came. 
So he had a lot of work to do. He had a whole lot of work before him, but yet he stood fast and he completed the job despite the amount of work that it was going to take him. He built the ark. He moved with godly fear and he built the ark for 120 years. Now what we also see is during that time, according to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, is that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Okay, and he was instructed to preach the righteousness, to preach of the oncoming judgment that was to come. You know, someone had done the math and they, they, they scaled out the ark. And they said that they would have taken two of every kind of animal and placed them on the ark. You know, you don't take the biggest ones you can find, you find the baby ones, right? You have know, heard me say you've got to get a pink one and a blue one. <laughs> as, long, as long as you got that right, you're good. So once that happened, so that, that somebody did the math and they did this. If he had gotten two of every kind of animal, not every species, but every kind of animal on the boat, and he put Noah and his family there, there was plenty of room for plenty more. There was plenty of room for more people there. But Noah built the ark. And as he was, as he was preaching the righteousness, think about this, in a very wicked society, in the wickedness of man at the time that Noah lived, we're talking about a time where God said that I am done with this, my heart is grieved and I'm going to wipe everyone off the face of the earth and I'm going to judge them with righteousness. Think about the culture in which he lived. Think about as he was a preacher of righteousness and as he's building a boat that was unnecessary during that time. Did not need a boat. Certainly one not that big. Think of what he had to go through, the mockery, the laughs, the abuse, the ridicule that he endured for building the ark and preaching righteousness. Yet he stood fast and he continued a life of faith because he believed God. He believed what God said about the coming judgment and he was obedient to the instruction because he believed that the hope that God had given him that he and his family would be saved. Noah lived a life that was faithful to Christ. He lived a life based on the fact that he believed what God said and he believed what God promised. And he followed the instructions to build the ark accordingly. In Genesis chapter 6, it also goes on to tell us that Noah did all that the Lord commanded. The last thing we want to see with Noah here is that not only was he warned of the coming judgment, not only was he given instruction concerning that warning, but he was also he stood fast for 120 years, preaching righteousness, following the instruction, being obedient to God, and building the ark. But he was moved with fear. He was moved with a godly fear. This was a godly fear that was very reverent. This was a fear that took heed lest he fall under the judgment of God. Noah feared God more than the people. Noah feared God more than he feared the world. His priority was pleasing God without consideration for pleasing man. And he, and he moved with a godly fear, and he prepared the ark for the saving of his family. He continued on and on simply because he believed the word of God about the coming judgment and the promise of salvation. And he acted accordingly. And by faith, he prepared that ark. Now, what does that mean for us? We've learned an awful lot about Noah. But can you see any similarities in here that maybe we should follow? What do we see? Let's take a look here. In pleasing God, let's take a look at our faith. 
All right, let's take a look. Since we looked at the context of the culture of Noah, let's take a look at the context of the culture of our lives today in the world in which we live. We understood and we see that, that yes, that Noah lived in a time where there was wickedness, where all of the thoughts on the hearts of man was evil continually. When we look, take a look at the culture in which we live, yes, we tend to be shielded by a lot because of our geographical location in the south of the United States in a small town in Arkansas. But because of the news and the media and the internet, we can see some vile wickedness that takes place. You know, we live in a world that blasphemes God. We live in a world that threatens God. We live in a world that shakes their fist at God and demands that God does not exist. We have people who will write books and say that God is not great and title them, God is not great. We have great authors out there by men who stand in uh, opposition to God and they, they title their books and their bestsellers and they're called, called the God Delusion. We live in a world that has turned away from God. We live in a culture where we have to live and we have a job to do where it's even laughed and mocked. We live in a world where you can get on the internet and you can find where they would parade up and down the street and there will be a woman dressed as a pregnant woman, dressed as the pregnant Mary, the Virgin Mary, and stop right in front of a church and act like she's aborting the baby Jesus. And it's celebrated. We live in a horrible, wicked time. And we as Christians have to understand. So just as the culture was wicked as in the time of Noah, just as the culture was wicked during that time, I believe that we too live in a wicked and perverse generation. And it's getting worse and worse. And the testimony of many of you can look back on your lives and say, yes, we've certainly gotten worse. The world is not the way it used to be 60 years ago. The world's not like it used to be 50 years ago. And those of us who are my age, you can look back and say the world's not the same as it was 10 years ago. It seems that the further we go, the faster we go away from God. But we live in a wicked generation. So the context, I believe, the cultural context is very similar to that of Noah. So what does that mean for us? My question to you is this morning is have we been given, have we been warned of a coming judgment as Noah was? Yes, we have been warned of a coming judgment. Have we been given instruction according to that judgment that is to come? Yes, we have. We have been warned of a coming judgment as well as we have been given instruction in light of the coming judgment. We are the body of Christ here in this living in the culture in which we live. We have been warned and we have been given instruction. And I want you to understand it was because of this warning of judgment and the instruction that has been given that a lot of us or, or all of us has come to know Christ as our personal Savior. It was because of that warning of the judgment to come. It's because we, we were faced with our sins and we were faced with who, who God is and we realized we had transgressed that law. We knew that there was a coming judgment because of our sin. And the wages of sin is death. And we understood that that judgment was going to come upon us. And the instruction of the gospel, which was repent and believe the gospel, came to us. It was delivered to us by however it was done. And we, when we, we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and we reached out in obedience and trusted in the name of Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross. We put our faith in him and we repented of our sins and our sins were forgiven. We believed in that hope that would actually come. We believed in the hope of eternal life and our sins to be forgiven. Therefore, we believed that and therefore we, put, we set our faith in him. Because of what we knew to be true about the gospel, we acted and put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
But even as a saved child of God, and even as Noah being a righteous man before the flood came, before God came to him and spoke to him, because he was a righteous man in his generation, a just man, we as believers of Jesus Christ, I believe that we still have this warning, and we still have instructions to follow. As believers, you know, once, we, once we're saved and once we taste and are partakers of the grace of God that is given to us through his son Jesus Christ, that's not the end of it. That judgment is still going to come. It has still not happened yet. We are still promised of the things that are not seen and the judgment will come. Jesus Christ will come back and he will judge this world in righteousness. And, as, and just as, the, and just as um, Noah was a preacher of righteousness during a time where a, a, a time of judgment was to come, we are to be the same thing. We are to be preachers of righteousness. We have a job to do. There's a coming judgment, and God has given us instruction concerning that judgment that is to come. He's put that in the hands of us all. And according to what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, it says this, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, you are no longer the person that you used to be. You are something fresh. You are something new. You are no longer dead in your sins, but yet you have been resurrected to a newness and life in Christ Jesus. Your sins have been forgiven. You have an eternal home. You have been given eternal life through Jesus Christ. You are a new creature. You are no longer the person that you used to be. Things have changed. The Holy Spirit now dwells in you, and you've been sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption, and that is the promise of God. You are not the same. So we shouldn't expect to live our lives according to the way that we used to live, should we? And we should live our lives in accordance. And uh, we should live our lives based on the fact that there's a coming judgment. And we have been given instruction concerning that judgment to come. We should be living our lives according to the very word of God and the commands of what God has given us as his children. We have been given a job and we've been given a duty to follow through with his ministry. As we continue there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 18. It says, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So what has he given us? The ministry of reconciliation. We have been given the ministry to reconcile the world to God. In verse 19, it says, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to him, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed us and committed to us the word of reconciliation. Again, what we see here in Scripture is that he has commissioned us for the ministry of reconciliation, and he has committed us with the word of reconciliation, which are the tools that we need. Yes, he said, look, I need you to handle the ministry of reconciliation. I have put that on you. I need you to handle the job, but he has also supplied us with the tools that we need, the word of reconciliation, the instruction manual for how we are to live our lives by faith, thus pleasing God. This is the instruction book that we have to follow. But he goes on to say, he says, as, as he's committed the word of reconciliation to us, he says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are the representatives of Jesus Christ here on earth. And it goes on to say, as though God were pleading through us. We are to represent Christ because we have been given a warning of the coming judgment. 
And our instruction is to warn the world of this coming judgment. Our instruction is to deliver the hope that Jesus Christ has for a lost and dying world. Our, our, our job is to te teach the world of the things that are not seen, which is the judgment to come. No, it hasn't happened yet. But we need to understand that we need to tell them the truth about that. But we also need to share with them the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And based on the truth that we deliver to them, what they can understand and know to be true, and as the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes under their heart and testifies to them that that is true, that they can turn and give their life to Jesus Christ because they believe that God is. And they believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But we have got to do our part. We've got to be willing in faith because we have been warned of the judgment and we have been given instruction. And just as Noah moved with a godly fear and prepared the ark, we too should move with a godly fear and at least tell people about the ark, which is in Jesus Christ. Regardless of the world in which we live, we must also stand fast and continue. And as, and as we describe the world in which we live, the culture in which we find ourselves, it's a lot of work, right? Well, sure. When, when is this, this going to come to an end? When is the day of judgment going to fall? Well, nobody knows the day or the hour. I believe there are some signs that we can follow. But you have to understand that we have to, we have to, fully, we have to fully be obedient to this task that he's been given us. We must stand fast regardless of the, the scope of the work that is before us. Yes, there's a lot of people who are lost and dying and going to hell. But that's the task that we've been tasked with, and we need to be obedient to God to do it. So what is the work concerning us? Well, one, I believe it is preparation. It is preparation, and secondly, it's execution. You know, it, it takes more than just preparation, right? We actually have to put feet to our works. We actually have to take the knowledge that we gain and actually apply it to the, to the lives around us. We actually have to apply it and actually be active in what we know to be true. That's living a life by faith. We have to prepare and execute. Well, that's exactly what Noah did. He prepared the ark because he believed what God said was true. We need to prepare ourselves for the ministry of reconciliation, and then we must deliver that ministry to a lost and dying world. We must build the ark. We must do the work that God's called us to do. Regardless of the work, regardless of the scope of the work, and regardless of the culture in which we live. As we illustrated earlier, yes, we live in a world that opposes God and ignores God and possibly doesn't want to hear what you have to say and possibly maybe even be hostile towards you. But even if that is the case, we're still given instruction, are we not? Yes. But I will, I will, I will let you understand and know that most of the time when you're sharing the gospel, it's, it's really not a, an argument. I mean, if you'll step out in faith and you'll actually do it, you can find that God will open those doors for conversation. And a lot of people will talk about it. Some people, a lot of people are, are very nice and they're very receptive. And, and though you may, not, you may not convince them of it, they'll say, thank you, but, you know, I still, I still just believe the way that I believe. It's, it's not always a tug of war. It's not always a fight to deliver the gospel. It's not always that way. But however, it doesn't change the fact, even if it was. It wouldn't change the fact that there's a coming judgment and we have been given instruction concerning that coming judgment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments. In every high thing, it exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 
not as pleasing men, but God. Not as pleasing men, but God. Our weapons of warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God. Remember that power we talked about, the exceeding greatness of God's power that he has towards us who believe? The mighty, these, these, these weapons we have are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, for the casting down of arguments or destroying arguments, and destroying every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. But my question is, is how are you, how, what weapon do you need in order to cast down and destroy those things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. What's required on your part? You gotta know that it's against the knowledge of God, correct? Yes, we have to understand, we have to know what that is, which requires, which brings us all the way back to reading and studying the word of God so you know and you possess the knowledge of God in order to identify those things that actually set themselves up against the knowledge of God. We have a duty and we have a job to tell the truth. We have a duty and we have a job to tell the truth and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the duty to warn people about the oncoming judgment. We have the duty to tell them about the things that are not seen. We have the duty to tell them about the hope that is found in Jesus Christ and that they may choose to receive Christ as their personal Savior. This is what we must be willing and ready to do. We must be faithful to God because He is we must be faithful to God because we believe that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must be faithful to God, especially in the generation in which we live, because he is going to judge the world soon. And in light of what we know to be true, and in light of the things that are going to come, the things that are not seen, and the hope that we have, we need to make sure that we move with a godly fear. Just as Noah moved with godly fear and he prepared the ark for the saving of his family, we must move with a godly fear seeking to please God rather than man. Whenever we refuse to preach the gospel because of fear, where is your greatest fear lie? In the people or in God? In the people, right? Pilate. Because of fear of the people, what did he do? He crucified Jesus and gave the order to do it. So we have to understand that whatever keeps us from doing it, whatever fear or whatever holds us back from following the instruction that God has given us concerning the culture in which we live today, and whatever fear holds us back, we have to understand that that keeps us from being obedient to the instruction that God has. That we have a greater fear of that than we do of God. But we need to move forward with a godly fear. Believing that God is. Believing that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Believing that what his reward is is going to be far above anything that we can save ourselves from here in this world. That the reward that comes from God is far and above and better than anything that we could gain in our culture today. But we must move with a godly fear just as Noah moved with a godly fear. This morning, as we prepare for a time of invitation, as our musicians come forward, and, and just kind of as a quick recap on what we've kind of gone through here, is that it's impossible to please God without faith. For without faith, it's impossible to please God, but for, who, for he who comes to him must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. What is faith? Faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the actions 
because of what we believe that are promised to us. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's the behavior that we exemplify based on what we know to be true in God's word. It is the effort that we put forward in being obedient to the commands of God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. And I kind of just wonder, you know, if God was to kind of give us, ask a few questions concerning what we've gone through, if God were to ask, you know, the question, do you want to please me? Do you want to please me? Our answer would be, yes, sure, I want to please you. Then he would give the comment that says, well, you know, without faith it's impossible. You, you can't. You can't please me outside of faith. You've got to really believe me. And what you really believe will be shown in your actions and in your behavior. Do you really believe me? He posed a question, child of God, do you believe that there's a coming judgment? Do you believe that one day I will come and I will judge this world in righteousness? Do you believe that? If he was to pose another question, do you believe that there's hope for a lost and dying world in my son Jesus Christ? Do you truly believe that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life is given to those who truly believe, to those who hear the gospel and believe on my son's name. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that there's an upcoming judgment and do you believe that I offer hope to a lost and dying generation? Yes, yes, God, we do. Well, if he's opposed to the next question, where's your substance and where's the evidence? You know, if you were brought before a third world country as, and you were accused of being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict? Or would you be acquitted? That's a question we need to ask. We can please God. It can't be done without faith. And faith cannot be exercised outside of the belief of what God says is absolutely true. And when we truly come to the point where we believe that God is true and that he is right and that his way is the right way and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, will we actually step out in faith, in obedience, and to, and to follow the instructions that we have been given. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much for the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. Father, we're so thankful that you have truly warned us about the oncoming judgment and you have not left us in the dark about what is to come, but you have promised those things that have not yet been seen. And Father, we believe you. Father, we believe you about the coming judgment. And Father, we want to thank you so much for the hope that you've given us in spite of the judgment that is to come, the judgment that we deserve. And Father, may we not just keep that hope to ourselves. Father, you have warned the world of an oncoming judgment. You have commissioned us with a great work to be preachers of righteousness in a culture that looks against you, Father. But we understand that the weapons that we have are based in your mighty hand, your power, and your word. Father, may we trust you. May we believe you and step out and live a life by faith and ultimately pleasing you in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.